Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast, brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. In each episode, I interview someone who has learned Chinese as a second language to find out how they learned it and what they're doing with this Chinese these days. In this episode, I'm happy to have Keoni Everington. Uh, Keoni, before we begin, can you give us a short introduction in Chinese, and then we'll go from there. Sure. 大家好,我叫 Keoni Everington. 我的中文名字是华武街,我来自美国,我接触中文二十多年。All right, good. So, wow, you've studied Chinese for more than 20 years? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, uh, I say 接触 because I uh, have been in contact with the language for over 20 years. I uh, Sometimes people say, have you studied Chinese? How long have you studied Chinese? And I say, uh, well, it's hard to answer that question. So I, I now I say that because um, it wasn't a continuous study of 22 sure. years, nonstop memorizing characters or something like that, you know, um, altogether, actual hard study time was probably about, I'm estimating about six or seven years. All right, that's still a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what uh, got you interested in Chinese 20 years ago? Well, uh, what happened was um, when I was 18 years old, uh, I visited my grandmother in Hawaii for the first time, and she told me that uh, she's actually uh, Chinese. And so that really opened my eyes, and I was really fascinated. And so I decided I wanted to, uh, as we say in Chinese, shunken, uh, to search out my roots. And uh, it began a journey um, where I started to explore different aspects of Chinese culture as best I could from the U.S. So um, one of those ways was to investigate Chinese, to start learning Chinese uh, actually, I started with Spanish for a number of years, got a high-level proficiency, and then I felt confident in uh, trying out Chinese. So I did that on uh, my third year of college. So you took a course, or how did that work? Yes. Uh, at my university, my university in Ohio, uh, they just had a few courses in Chinese, not a full program. So I took the introductory course and took as many courses as they had, which I think uh, I think it went up to the 300 level, something like that. So outside of class, did you have any place you could use this Chinese? Good question. Uh, this was Ohio <laughs> in the 90s. And so there actually, you mentioned it, there was a little, they called it Little Chinatown. And what it was was a small uh, apartment complex of uh, graduate students from China. So we actually did have a number of them. And so what I did was uh, I would teach some of them English, and then they would help me out with my homework. <laughs> mm. And I made some friends. And this actually uh, was very important later down the road uh, to my to getting a job in China, actually. You use their contacts. Exactly, because one of my students, um, she uh, introduced me to her parents and they uh, they took my resume and they handed it over to uh, the uh, hiring department at um, Renmin Dashue, the People's University in Beijing. And so right out of college, I had a job teaching English at uh, Renda in Beijing. 
Oh, so so that must have been a a big experience going from Ohio to Beijing. Yes, <laughs> especially in 1994. But you made it through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was quite a cultural shock, and uh, there were a number of uh, there were a handful of uh, American students uh, there learning Chinese, and that class actually whittled down to just one guy by the end of the the year because at that time. It was a little too harsh for uh, the average American student to survive. Uh, and when H- I harsh in terms of what? Well, a lot of things um, because the conditions there were a lot different than they are now. So uh, living conditions, um, mm. say uh, for example, uh, sanitary uh, conditions. Uh, a lot of people got sick. People would get hepatitis. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the so food was a big issue where you get sick a lot, and the quality uh, was was very uh, bad at that time. And then, um, uh, it, you know, it was uh, uh, hadn't reached the level of development that it is now, and it has now. And um, so it was it was quite a hardship for a lot of uh, Westerners. So you really had to have uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you, Some you perseverance. To, you had to have perseverance uh, to be able to to survive and real determination. But I was very passionate about learning the language and uh, going native. So uh, I went with the flow and I um, embraced everything that I encountered, embraced the culture. I even, uh, because as a communist university, we gave communism a shot, you know, <laughs> like philosophically we, we thought mm-hmm. about uh, you know, kind of looking at it from their point of view and, um, and made a lot of, of Chinese friends. And so those, those were key. That was a key thing was, was making a lot of Chinese friends. So how long were you there? So I was at Renda for one year and then I got a job at Tsinghua for a year, uh, Tsinghua University. So what and, was your job there? And so it was the same thing, teaching English, uh, but I taught English majors. So that was quite interesting. Uh, the most interesting uh, class that I taught was uh, film. Uh, uh, we used Western American films primarily to teach advanced English to the English majors. And that was a really fun course. So did you have any background in doing this, or is this something you picked up on your own? Uh, teaching English or the uh, film aspect? The film aspect. Um, I had taken film studies in college, uh, a real extensive course. So that did give me some background. And, um, and then they gave us a little bit of training on how to, uh, set up, uh, the course and, and prepare the materials for the, uh, for the class. But, uh, mostly it was fairly intuitive, fairly straightforward. I mean, you, 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 you watch the film ahead of time, you prepare vocabulary and you prepare uh, background information for them um, and you, you break it down, you, you stop it at critical moments and replay it so they can hear uh, important uh, vocabulary or certain uh, phrases or expressions uh, hmm. because, you know, so much of today's American English, uh, a lot there's a lot of references to films. So mm-hmm. it was a useful course. <clears throat> it was a very useful course for the students, I believe. So in total, how long did you stay in China? 
That's a good question uh, because I've been back and forth many times. Uh, I had those two years uh, at that time, and then um, I, I, I also taught for a year in Taiwan, and then I did an internship uh, for a number of months in Shanghai, and then uh, I traveled to, Ta- uh, to <clears throat> I traveled to China many times <clears throat> over the years, and then I returned to China. In, uh, and also I did a study abroad program in China. I led a study about, I led a study abroad program in China, um, and about 10 years ago. And then in 2010, I moved back to Beijing for the first time in about 14 years. And I lived again in Beijing for another four years. So I'd say roughly altogether, a, a roughly about seven years in mainland China, something like that. So at this point, I mean, obviously you had decided that you wanted to spend a good portion of your life in Asia. Yes. Oh, all right. And then uh, career-wise, how did you get from there to what you're doing now? That's a good question. Um, I, I'd like to mention all the different jobs I've had. That okay, had- please do. Chinese that use Chinese so uh, listeners can get some ideas on possible uh, positions, career paths that yeah, involve use of Chinese. So the first thing I did was uh, when I was still teaching English, I worked at a translation company at a law firm, uh, and that was translating things like co- um, power contracts and government edicts, that sort of thing. So how did you get that job? Did you approach uh, them or? Newspaper, the old Beijing scene newspaper. Um, so I, I responded to the ad and interviewed with them in a bilingual interview. Okay. Uh, so, and then I also worked for a translation company in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, same kind of stuff, power contracts. In those days, it was a lot of uh, power, power plants being built, I suppose. So this was Chinese to English? This was, yes, it was, correct. Okay. Chinese to English. Chinese All right. To English. And then um, I worked for, a, I interned at an educational software company in Shanghai and in marketing. So, and that involved both translating from Chinese to English and also English to Chinese. Hmm. Okay. So, and then... Uh, then so I this, worked, this was software that was being marketed to Chinese consumers or international? That's right. It was uh, multimedia software products being marketed to Chinese com- uh, Chinese customers in Shanghai, uh, China in general. Okay. Okay. Based in Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, then I worked for uh, a brokerage firm in San Francisco, the Asia Pacific uh, branch of it, and it was all. Uh, Chinese Americans uh, and Chinese nationals, and so it was all in Chinese because it was for their Chinese clients. Hmm. Okay. And then I worked at a uh, Chinese joint venture, Chinese American uh, internet startup, a dot com, in Silicon Valley, and so I worked there until the bubble burst. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I worked at a uh, it's a, uh, it was, a, the owner was in Shanghai. The owner was based in Shanghai, but the company was in LA 
it's a computer company. It was a hardware parts company. They sold computer parts online. And so most of the staff was ethnically Chinese and also uh, uh, Latin Americans. And so actually I got to use my Spanish and Chinese. That's the only job I ever had where I used both Spanish and Chinese every day. Oh, nice. So that was quite wild, yeah. And uh, there were very few actual native English speakers. It was really just Spanish and Chinese all day long. <laughs> uh, and then I worked at... Uh, so you seem to like these non-English environments. Yeah, yeah. I like to put my language skills to, to good use. I was an international studies major. Okay. And they really emphasized uh, mastery of at least one language. Mm-hmm. And so I, that kind of stuck with me uh, from then on. Uh, I also, I ran a study abroad program. I developed a study abroad course, I should say. And um, so that was from a university in uh, Winthrop University in, in uh, South Carolina to Beijing. It was to send a, a group of students to Beijing to actually study Kung Fu with my Kung Fu master. <laughs> wow. so that was a, but it was a credit course. And... Um, and so that was quite fun. That was a fun gig. It was a uh, somebody on the subway ran onto me, a Westerner, and he said, uh, "Is this a paid gig?" And I'm like, "Yeah." This is, he's like, "Oh, that's a pretty good one." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then I worked for a when I moved back to Beijing, I worked for a law firm. Um, and mostly they specialized in uh, intellectual property, uh, so that was law. So that's a whole other area. So I had to learn a lot of vocabulary about law, and I brought a lot of dictionaries, including Chinese dictionaries uh, about law, and it was in both from English to Chinese and Chinese to English. That was very challenging. Mm-hmm. Then I worked for an advertising agency, and um, and so that's a whole other area, and I was an account manager for the advertising agency, and I worked with the Chinese engineers because uh, they're building websites, and they were doing uh, web projects for their clients, and so I was interfacing with the Chinese um, tech personnel uh, on various projects. Then I worked for a magazine, The World of Chinese. Uh, I'll have to shout, give a shout out, <laughs> The World of Chinese. And uh, so that ma- that was the most fascinating job, uh, one of the best fits for me because it was about Chinese. It's about uh, learning Chinese. It, it's mostly in English, but uh, we insert a lot of Chinese into the English uh, keywords and expressions. And so it's both uh, teaching Westerners various aspects of Chinese language, but also culture, food, travel, different aspects like that. So I really enjoyed that position and uh, I did have to use the language a lot daily with my colleagues, uh, including the my boss and my and the uh, director and, and the, the the big boss and everybody. Uh, we gave, had to give presentations in Chinese, and so used the language extensively uh, when I was there. I also did voice work for a TV show um, in in China, and uh, I had to do I had to translate what they wanted me to say. I had to translate keywords, like a lot of key terminology, uh, from Chinese to English, and then I had to do voice work. 
And then I did uh, some consulting for a green energy company, and it was SEO in Chinese, Chinese SEO. Uh, so I had to do the SEO for them in Chinese. I'd done SEO in English before, but that was the uh, the only time I did it uh, in Chinese to try and get their Baidu uh, listing higher. So that was quite interesting. And then uh, then I worked. I moved here to Taiwan, and I worked for a luxury consulting firm. Uh, and now I work at a news service. So. <laughs> It's, it's a long road, but it, there's a lot of different things you can do with the language. Right. I see that. So how do you end up getting all these uh, positions that you may not have the direct experience or skills for, right? Other than knowing this, knowing Chinese. Is right. It just, is it just answering ads or is there more to it? Good question. And there's, there's secrets to this. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Secrets. Huh. Well, uh, <laughs> some of the answering is yes. Um, some of it is what we, as you know, guanxi. So right. knowing people, knowing the right people. So uh, certain jobs, let's say like the dot-com job, it was a friend of a friend from back in Beijing. Um, uh, so was the law firm. The law firm was uh, also a uh, connection. And um, the advertising agency the magazine were results of me advertising myself and so that's a strategy that i've learned is uh to make to sell yourself uh so i would put an ad uh you know searching for employment ad in the beijinger for example oh, wow. and i would list my skills and i would importantly i would do it bilingually you know i would do an english version and a chinese version and right. my photo, and then all, all my skills, and then have them come to me. And I found that that's a really good strategy because um, in this, when you do that, um, they're coming to you. They want you. They're interested in you. And that it's a good chance that you may not have as many competitors. Mm. Uh, they, it's almost they, like you're interviewing them. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So you're kind of more in the driver's seat, and you don't. A lot of times it means you don't really have as much uh, competition because a lot of times it means that they hadn't run an ad themselves or they just didn't find anybody that they, that suited them. And so mm -hmm. they find this ad and they, they're very intrigued. And so that you've kind of already sold them to an extent, you know. So yeah. that's another major way that I've done it. Uh, and the last job was simply a cold call. Uh, I saw this news agency nearby mm -hmm. uh, I, I found their phone number uh, I called them in Chinese and I asked for their director and I got them on the line and that's how I got the job <laughs> so were they looking for someone yeah but they hadn't posted any ads okay. <laughs> and so it was just uh, got them at the right time exactly now, it, it sounds like also you've worked for some companies that are Chinese and some that may be American. Is there right. a big big difference in like the work culture between the two? Absolutely. And I would say this is a caveat uh, for someone that's considering working for a Chinese organization. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of differences, and it's something that you need to be mentally prepared for and something that uh, you have to be 
sure that you want to be able to that you want to be sure that you'll be able to handle uh, those differences. Uh, basically, um, it's kind of a more traditional, older model of management. And when I uh, with Chinese companies, uh, typically there's not going to be as many. Um, you typically going to work longer hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's typically going to be less in terms of vacation. Um, traditionally, people, uh, the employees don't leave until the the boss leaves. Mm. Uh, it's a top-down hierarchy. Uh, it's the old model of uh, of management, older model of management, uh, typically. Now, there probably are exceptions with uh, higher high-tech firms and new startups, that sort of thing. Uh, but with established organizations, sure. let's say a state-owned enterprise, uh, an old... Uh, uh, old company that's been around for many decades. Uh, they have they're set in their ways pretty much, and also um, there's tends to be a glass ceiling with foreigners for a lot of companies where there's only so high a foreigner can go. But that's not necessarily true. Um, I did like uh, I think in China it can be good that. A big thing that happens uh, in China is that you'll be in, put in charge more than you might early on at a, at a Western company. So that's getting into maybe one of the, some of the the bright spots. Uh, you might get more responsibility than than you would as an entry level employee uh, in the U.S. Uh, and um, you know, so in that sense, you might actually grow faster. And and pe- some people say that that they progressed faster. Because they had more responsibility sooner, uh, and they were managing more people than they would have uh, at a comparable position in, in the U.S. Uh, so that's a, that's a good spot. And I uh, I say at, at the magazine that that was definitely my experience um, because I I, uh, they, I advanced fairly quickly and um, was put in charge of a lot of things, and they 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 took my advice on a lot of things. And, and so uh, that's the upside. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the challenge to that is that uh, in the West, you're groomed, you're trained, you're gradually, they, you know, you work your way up to that. Whereas in China, you might just rock it up to it. So it's a good place to get the experience. So, you know, it's great because you, in, in a sense that you can really advance very quickly. However, if you're not ready uh, or you haven't had the right training, uh, it could be um, very difficult or may not end well, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're not really ready for that. Uh, you don't have the right instincts uh, or you haven't had the right training. Um, so, the, you know, those are the pitfalls, I would say. And I suppose if, if your purpose is to immerse yourself into the language and the culture, then that's probably the best way. Absolutely. Definitely. Hmm. So looking back on your journey, is there anything you wish you had done differently if you had the opportunity to do so in terms of either learning the language or your career path? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I, I wish I'd studied Chinese even more. <laughs> I wish I'd studied it even even more thoroughly. Uh, you just can't get enough. Hmm. Uh, it's once you uh, can speak and read the language, 
uh, you realize how valuable and important it is in the organization, in the Chinese organization. You can really see uh, the difference between someone that knows the language and then another Westerner that doesn't know the language at all and then it's always left out. They can't attend the meetings. Uh, people actually talk about them. When they're in a the room, they don't know what they're saying. Uh, the other thing I wish I'd done is that I had uh, taken a risk and um, started sooner when I was, uh, uh, after I got my master's, uh, after I got my master's, that I went ahead and took the plunge and and jumped into the China market uh, all the way um, right after graduation uh, in the early days back in the uh, late 90s. Uh, because I, I think I missed a big part of the boom, a big part of the boom years. Because I, uh, you know, I was there really early on uh, before my master's degree, uh, you know, teaching English and doing some translation. But then I got my master's degree, which is actually a China-focused MBA at the University of Hawaii. And uh, but then I I got into the dot-com boom in California, and uh, I wish I'd actually. Um, gone to China at that time instead, and uh, and and grew uh, back during that period because uh, I think it was a big growth uh, phase uh, in Chinese history, and so I kind of yeah I kind of wish I'd been there for that because I kind of came I kind of came at the tail end of it uh, uh, several years later, so a little bit late in the game, but uh, but it's. I still had a good experience uh, when I came later on, and um, there's still a lot of opportunities as we speak. So, uh, so it's yeah, I regret a little bit, but it's it's okay. Yeah. I mean, it still kind of worked out in the end. So, lastly, for someone who's you know in their current job, but they'd like to be doing something different, uh, do you have any advice for them how to to find an alternate career path here in, in some- Taiwan? Okay, so this is someone that's in the U.S. Uh, let's say someone in Taiwan, okay. who's not who wants to do something completely different. Oh, okay, all right. And so they're they're maybe they're teaching English or yeah, exactly, or whatever they're doing. Oh, or so what? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right, right. Um, well, uh, I really that's something I wish. Another thing I wish I'd done sooner and more was internships. Um, because I find that internships really open doors very quickly. Uh, I've taken in a lot of interns uh, at my uh, at the magazine I worked at, and now the news agency. And I see that after their internships, first of all, the internships they gain a great amount of skills free. Maybe they're even paid. You know, ideally it's a paid internship. A lot of internships are not paid, but that's okay because you learn a lot, and you might even get hired. And so I, I've seen a lot of interns actually also get hired on uh, after the internship. And um, they might have already been working. In a lot of cases, it's they're not college students. They've already graduated and they're already working. So it's it's not it's never too late, I think, to be an intern. Well, I guess there's maybe a certain age race, perhaps. I don't know. Although there was that movie that came out, The Intern, about the guy that was <laughs> in his 60s, you know. So... Um, do you think if yeah. if uh, someone sees a company and says, I'd really like to work at that company, but they may not necessarily be, that company may not be actively looking for someone, 
can you just approach them and say, hey, I'd like to be an intern? Like, is that common? Yeah, I, I, it's it doesn't hurt. And, um, well, you know, uh, yes, because uh, I've worked with a lot of interns and... Um, and I, and, uh, let's see, and I've also, we've been, we've tried to recruit interns before too. And, uh, yeah, it, it can happen. It happened. I've seen it happen before. Um, and like you've done, if, if you show up and say, here's my skills, here's what I can contribute, you know, kind of sell yourself that way, right? Right, right. And of course, like I said, sure that my most recent job was simply a cold call. And, uh, so the good old fashioned cold call still works too, especially in um, these uh, kind of older Taiwanese organizations because um, they may not really be real savvy about um, placing job ads on hmm. websites uh, or, or uh, on news sites or whatever. And, uh, you know, it might just work out because they, yeah, they might have a need. Mm-hmm. And, just hadn't been hadn't had a chance to do their search yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. So hopefully that'll help people who are listening who are in that boat. Well, and, and one last thought is, like I said before, is the the ad strategy, posting mm. an ad about yourself. Right. Before. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you sharing all your insights. And I'd be happy to forward any feedback people have about this episode. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye.